0: To FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the ball. It's yes!
1: Make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometimes
0: and I spend some time with you just looking at you.
1: how you doing first time in my life i've ever won anything i'm doing magnificent this morning
2: all right for those who don't know uh, thank you very much dear listeners you have voted us the world soccer talk podcast of the year so thank you for that
1: you have wrote us in and we have won dominated category and that's all thanks to you the listeners
2: yep and uh you know look i'm not aware that uh this this award is about uh, your ability to get the vote out but uh we did that does imply something i think and uh, we're very thankful for that and it should be able to help us book uh book some better guests because we can always play that out when i'm introducing myself and they're not aware of us i could say we were voted the best mls podcast last year you need to talk to us then so thank you very much and from that we'll leave it all well enough alone maybe we might play a bumper with we are the champions or something kevin can you whip that up Uh, Yeah, it's already done. All right. Okay, got a good show today. We've got Chance Michaels. He is the president of the Third Rail Supporters Group for NYCFC. Uh, We talked to Chance about, you know, basically how that group started, uh, what attracts him to that team, that new team, even though there's a team in New York and the Red Bulls and why he didn't support the Red Bulls and how he feels about that sort of stuff, how he feels about Frank Lampard. Interesting conversation. Uh, we did that. It's in the, in the can right now. It's going to come out right after we do the quick little intro here. Uh, other than that, we are also talking about a couple of signings. Uh, TFC signing a Jamaican Youth International in the Academy, which has ruffled some feathers in certain uh, sections of the Canadian fandom. We'll talk about that. Uh, Kevin, uh, the Impact have a new signing too, right?
1: Yes, and you talk about how uh, in Toronto it was a shock that they signed a Jamaican for the Academy. Well, nothing as a shock in Montreal. They signed another Italian.
2: Alright, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about that in the middle segment And then in our final segment today We're going to talk about the Canadian uh, the Canadian National Team Players of the Year On the women and the men's side I have a vote uh, I have already voted I will tell you who I voted for Why I voted for them And we'll talk about a couple omissions from the shortlist And why we think that's a bit odd And uh, I guess we'll also talk about the fact that MLS is deciding to expand the playoffs again Which is going to be even more hilarious when TFC still misses 18 teams will be in, right? <laughs> yeah, it'll be 19 of the 20 and TFC be the 20th. That's how it'll work. Anyway. Alright. On that break. Campione. You are
1: listening to the two Solitude Soccer Podcast, the 2014 MLS Talk Awards, best podcast winner. Thanks for everyone who voted for us. Thanks to all the listeners. Anybody who voted, we thank you very much. We could not have done it without you. And now, back to the show.
2: And welcome back to the Two Salt Toots podcast. Dwayne Rollins with Kevin May, Chance Michaels, the president of Third Third Rail. Uh, Third Rail, that's the name of the supporters group for NYCFC. Chance, how are you doing
0: today? I'm great, thanks. How about you guys?
2: I'm I'm good. And tell us, Chance, how exactly did this supporters group, the Third Rail, get going uh, before the, the the team has even kicked the ball?
0: Well, it's it's been a fun year for us. I can tell you that um, the group was unofficially formed on the same day that the expansion franchise was announced. Um, a lot of us had the same reaction. You know, there, we um, you know we saw the announcement, we heard about it, and wanted to get involved somehow, some way. Um, I started a blog. I started a blog um, to follow the growth and the the foundation of the club, Um, and I'm pretty sure that my first post was something along the lines of, there's a new team, I have nothing else to say, but I just want to say something. And um, a bunch of us started that way, and we kind of found each other online, you know, through social media, Facebook and Twitter, and the group really grew out of that. We, um, we started up uh, some informal meetings you know, at, at pubs to watch games and just kind of you know, meet and greets and get to know our, our uh, fellow burgeoning NYCFC fans, and that's really formed the, the backbone of the, uh, the group as it started.
2: Chance, I guess the question that most people outside of NYC would have is, is why not the Red Bulls?
0: Uh, I think it's there are a couple of factors. I mean, everyone has their own individual reasons. Um, I mean, myself, I was, I've been a soccer fan my entire life. I grew up um, partially in New York City. I was born here and, and grew up kind of uh, in the Midwest, in, in Los Angeles, and in New York. Um, so I grew up going to Cosmos games. I saw Pele play at Yankee Stadium. I saw Kenelia at, uh, at Giants Stadium back when they were selling the place out. Um, but then as I as I grew up you know we didn't have a domestic league that I could follow and uh, like a lot of people I kind of gravitated towards towards the best soccer in the world you know the rise of the internet and cable packages and satellite TV meant that we could actually see games from from overseas um, and so I became an arsenal fan and when MLS started up I think like a lot of people I was kind of interested I was you know intrigued and in, to see what they could do here and I went to a couple of, uh, a couple of the then Metro stars games, um, at the Meadowlands, but it seemed to me at the time, and I, you know, I can only respond with my impressions. I don't know what their goal was, but it seemed to me that they were really interested in being a suburban team. Like they'd identified their target market and this was the era of, of soccer moms and, you know, soccer in the suburbs. And that seemed to be what they were doing. They had, uh, you know, almost no marketing, almost no presence in the city. Um, And so it just kind of, that really seemed to be, to me, to be what they saw as their market. And as the game got better and the the league got better and the league was signing better players and the quality of of the football increased, you know, I would check in from time to time, but I never really, you know, was able to develop much of a connection with them. And then, I guess about four years ago now, we started getting the first rumblings that, that MLS really wanted to have a presence in the city and that they had targeted, um, targeted New York as the then 20th franchise. I mean, obviously, they, they must have recognized what a lot of us felt instinctively, which is that MLS just hasn't really made much of an impact in the city itself. I mean, we're, we're crazy for the sport. We absolutely love it here. You can't walk down a street without passing, you know, bar after pub after restaurant advertising a whole slate of Saturday morning games and you can go into a bar at you know, 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning and find 40 people watching Premier League teams slug it out or, or teams from La Liga or, or Serie A. So we absolutely love the sport, but you know, MLS just never was able to make much of an impact, and I don't know if that was you know, bad marketing on, on their part or if it was just what they saw as their natural audience, but they sure didn't seem to feel that, that the audience was in the city itself. And it left a big hole, a big hole that MLS uh, obviously recognized, and um, that NYCFC is filling right now.
1: The city of New York itself is a city filled with people from all around the world, a lot of expat from everywhere. Absolutely. Do you think that the New York City FC is actually uh, trying to get all of those soccer lovers from around the world to uh, get behind uh, City Blue team from New York?
0: Oh, I think so. I mean. I th- uh, I don't believe that they are terribly interested in in slicing off parts of the existing Red Bull fan base. And a lot of people ask, well, are people going to jump from one to the other? And I, I don't think that, you know, speaking from the outside, I don't know what they're thinking, but I, it doesn't appear to me, and I, don't, I wouldn't bet that they are, in fact, uh, you know, have any plans to do that. I think they're interested in growing the pie overall, rather than just sort of cutting up the Red Bull's piece. I think that they that they are really interested in getting people who already follow the sport, but maybe don't follow a local team, um, which I, I think is a huge market here. Um, and the youth market is, is unbelievable as well. I mean, our, we have kids playing soccer in tremendous numbers all around the city. And NYCFC has already paired with eight youth, uh, youth organizations to develop you know, affiliations and hopefully as those kids you know grow up some will become players most will probably you know just be fans of the game and they'll have that relationship with NYCFC and hopefully that's where they're intending to grow the fan base as well
1: now getting closer to the expansion draft we're seeing the team form itself slowly having some players here and there without the the club having kits as well what's exciting you the most going forward in the next couple of months with the expansion draft coming up?
0: Oh, I think, I think definitely the filling out the, the roster is, is really driving a lot of the interest for us. Um, I mean, it's, it's been funny. We've been around so long, and we've, we've had representatives at every significant um, event the club has held. We were there for the unveiling of the logo. We were there for um, Frank Lampard's, uh, introductory press conference. Um, but it's, you know, it's, so we've seen the team kind of come together from this very abstract um, and, and nebulous from the outside plan into really really seeing the organization take shape and now we're seeing the, the playing roster start, start to take shape a little bit. And I think that that's, I mean, obviously because that's the product on the pitch and that's what, you know, what so many people identify with are, you know, the players themselves, obviously, that I think that once we develop that, um, you know, it's 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 tremendously exciting.
2: Uh, Chance, that'll
0: tell us what, that, the way that they put that together will tell us what uh, uh, Jason Christ is thinking, um, you know, the way that he intends to play the game. Um, it'll give us a real clue into where the organization is headed.
2: Chance, one of the, the biggest questions people, again, from the outside have is is this idea that it will not appeal, that this sport will not appeal, this team, I should say, should, will not appeal to those that support teams that aren't Manchester City in the Premier League. Um, you told me off air you're not a city fan, and, and you told me that some of your executive on the third are, are not city fans. and In fact, one's a United fan. So just speak to that for me, while you.
0: Yeah, I think that, that's obviously something that um, you know that that's out there, and it's a challenge that they face. Um, you know, is that they're they're part of an international group with with its face in Manchester, and it's funny that uh, we. As a group, we have fans uh, who follow the sport all over the world. I mean, I said before that so many of us didn't follow the domestic league, so we gravitated towards, you know, other teams all over. Um, As I mentioned, I'm an Arsenal fan. I've actually been an Arsenal season ticket holder for the last five years. Um, I share a season ticket with my brother who lives in London, and I get over to see a couple games every year. Um, the two vice presidents that I work with most closely on the third rail, one's a Liverpool fan and one's a United fan. So we, we kind of cover the, the whole uh, spectrum, largely English, but we also have fans of, you know, Real Madrid. We have a Barca fan um, on our board. So we have, um, you know, the sort of representatives of the, of the top tier of, of European and, and global soccer. A
2: chance, when the strips were announced, the home strip, which does look very much like Manchester City's strip, which, as a city supporter myself, I can't understand why it would not, why anyone would have thought it wasn't going to look that way. <laughs> however, um, people in, within the MLS bubble that I like to call it lost their mind. They, I don't know what they were expecting, but they lost their mind. Were they
0: overreacting? Well, I think I think obviously passions run very high, you know, and and particularly when you have a team that hasn't even started to play yet. You know, so much of your of your your passion is, is aspirational and, you know, what you're projecting on, on what the future is going to hold. And so I think a lot of people were disappointed because they had some idea of what it was going to be and this wasn't it. Um, personally, I kind of knew from the very beginning what we were getting. It had been more or less confirmed that we were getting a sky blue shirt. Um, and for the record, I actually love that. Um, I love it because it's a color that's not used in the sporting landscape in this city. It's a color that we can completely own within the context of New York. So I was 100% behind that. Um, once once uh, Etihad Airlines signed a deal to sponsor MLS in general, which is, I want to say, back in March, uh, I, thought, I thought that was a pretty clear signal that we were going to get them as a shirt sponsor. So, again, you know, this, this didn't seem all that surprising to me, Um, But I can see where the people projecting their own ideas um, might have been thinking that they would go in a a slightly different direction. Um, One of the things I think has been really interesting from my perspective is that a couple of weeks after the home strip was launched, which got admittedly mixed reaction, um, the away strip was leaked by uh, FIFA 15, by the video game, and it's all black. With the sky blue accents and a little bit of orange, and the response to that has been off the charts in the other direction. Everybody loves it, um, in part because it incorporates all of the club colors. I mean, the orange is a is a very subtle shout out to the flag of the city of New York, which is blue, white, and orange. Um, obviously, you know, the, uh, going back to the city's roots this is New Amsterdam, and you know, and so I think that if they'd been able to release the two of them together. Um One with an obvious um, city foot group, football group influence the other not, that the response wouldn't have been quite what you've seen, you know what you saw at the time.
1: You briefly mentioned a little earlier about Jason Kreis and how he's gonna have to define his style of play in the next couple of months. As a fan, as a supporter of a football club, we don't get a chance to say before it happens what kind of type of play we'd like to see. as a supporter chance. What type of football and soccer does New York want to see?
0: Winning football. <laughs> <laughs> I think first and foremost we want to see a team that's competitive on the field. Um, uh, you know, coming coming from from Arsenal, I have you know very specific ideas as to what that looks like.
1: Yeah, but you uh, know, in MLS, if you even finish fourth, it's not considered a trophy, though.
0: No, no, but it does get us into the playoffs. I think true, that true. You know, I think as long as as long as we can be competitive in that in that range, um, you know, I think we would all consider that a victory. I um, obviously, you know, we want to be lifting the, the shield and the cup as quickly as possible, but it's an expansion franchise, and everybody knows that putting it together is it's going to be um, you know challenging in its own way. Um, I myself like to see a, you know kind of a wide open or attacking football, um, but who knows.
2: Ch- Chance, uh, a yeah. couple quick questions on the uh, the stadium. I, I, are you concerned about the the lack of movement
0: there? No, I mean again, it's it's kind of disappointing that they haven't been able to, to put more together. But, I mean, I've having lived in this city, you know, as a, as for a long time. I I grew up here, but as a kid, and then I came back uh, in nineteen ninety six to live for good. And I've seen these, how these things get dragged out. I mean, it took, it took the Yankees over a decade to get their own stadium built, and that, you know, stadium that they paid for entirely. Um, it's, it's, it's a complicated, messy, difficult, sometimes corrupt venture building in this city, and I think that it shouldn't surprise anyone that it's dragging and dragging and dragging, although, as I said, we'd all like to see a resolution sooner rather than later.
2: And, uh, and Frank Lampard, is Super Frank gonna, going to start the season with New York, or is Manchester's uh, claws going to pull him back?
0: Oh, I certainly hope so. Um, I, I think this is going to be an interesting test of where NYCFC fits within the City Football Group. Uh, I think that it's really important that Lampard starts the season in New York and that his contract is with MLS. Actually, it's not even with City Football Group, it is with MLS. And I, I fully expect to see him from day one in New York. All right.
2: Chance Michaels, uh, we'll, we'll maybe touch base again. Uh, I find this, uh, this little project fascinating. Maybe touch base again a little more when we have some players to talk about more than two. I'd uh, love that. All right. In the meantime, we thank you for your time today. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast with Kevin Larmay and Dwayne Rollins. You can reach the guys on Twitter at twenty fourth minute and at Kevin Arame, Or both of them at 2 Solitudes Pod. Reach the guys on email. 2SolitudesPodcast at gmail.com. But especially subscribe on
2: Stitcher Radio. Now back to the show. And welcome back and thanks again to Chance for joining us. Um, I'm fascinated by NYCFC for, for obvious reasons for those that know me. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm going to support them. There's your answer to that question. I am a Torontonian. I'm going to continue to support this disaster that's in my backyard. However, that doesn't mean I can't be interested in NYCFC. Um, however, what where I am really interested in where I come down a little bit different than Chance, obviously, is is Frank Lampard. I think he's going to stay in Manchester, and I think that this is, he's right in the sense that it's going to be... Uh, an interesting test on where the priorities lie within that group, and I think that they're going to lie towards the team, the, the team, their main team, and I can't argue with that. From as a logical observer, I can understand, however, why someone in MLS would be frustrated with that.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, and as a Chelsea supporter, for me, Frank Lampard, it's been—I'm surprised because he's playing a lot better now with Manchester City than he did last year, which last two years for that matter. With Chelsea, it's like a revival that he had this year, being able, supposed to just train, play a couple of games in Premier League, but we're not expecting him to have the impact that he had with Manchester. Now, like you say, is he going to stay with Manchester, go to New York? But I think it's good for MLS as a whole to a player that you sign is actually having success in one of the top leagues in the world just a couple months before making the transition. Uh, I think it speaks well for the future of Major League Soccer, though. Yeah, it's a double-edged
2: sword. Um, it's, it actually, I think that they, if they don't at least bend a little bit, right now his loan is ending on January 1st. Uh, there is no reason whatsoever to send him back for the start of training camp because all signs point to the NYCFC doing its training camp in Manchester anyway. If they're doing that, then they might as well extend his loan with the senior club, the main club, um, until March at least. Now, if they get into the point where they're keeping him until May, then, yeah, they might as well just buy him back. I think what's happened, though, Kevin, you're right. I did not at all expect Frank Lampard to be as important to Manchester City as he has been. He's been one of their better players since he came back from the injury. Certainly that goal yesterday was uh, was huge. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's not just that. He's played very well. And I, I think it's that Pellegrini has, has found a new role for him than, than he had in Chelsea. He's, he was leaned on a lot in Chelsea, and he wasn't ready to do that anymore. Uh, I think that he's playing a little bit further back. He's playing a little bit more of a support role, and he's able to excel in that because it's it's not testing his physicality as much as it was in Chelsea. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, that also speaks to whether he'll excel in MLS. And, and I'm not. It's not uh, like it's not a, a direct connection in my mind. Just because he's doing well in the Premier League right now in that role doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do the same thing when he gets to New York. I'm not sure he's going to be. The same type of player there because he's going to be asked to do more. It's kind of the Julian De he's phenomenon.
1: Gonna, he's going to have, have a more offensive role with New York, uh, yeah. unless maybe David Villa was able to get all that pressure on him instead.
2: Yeah, well, Villa is a great star. I think Villa's going to be great, and I said that to chance off there. I, I, I really was excited. To, I'm excited to see that player live um, next year, I, what I'm, a guy that I've always really appreciated a great deal as a player, so I, I do think he's going to be very good. Um, we'll see with Lambert. He's clearly still very talented, and obviously, I'm not saying his talent level isn't MLS standard, I'm saying that the physicality demands on him, especially if he plays till March with Manchester City might be a bit much. Um, I do worry for NYCFC uh, that they might have a Defoe situation on their hands if they do force him back that he he didn't think he was going to excel this much with Manchester and he didn't think he was going to be enjoying it so much as he was and look at the grin on his face during that pile up after uh, aguero's goal last week in the champions league he's clearly fitting in with that group well and is has uh, you know he's he's accepted the, the that he's no longer a chelsea blue and he's now a manchester blue right so yeah, I guess well he's always going to be a Chelsea legend but I mean in terms of where he's playing he's fitting in with the group he's, and yeah. he's, he's not just there to train like he feels part of that team now yep. and if you pull away from him you know he's human and he's going to be like well you know I was ready to go to MLS I thought I was ready to go to MLS but now it's the same with Defoe now I'm playing well and I want to go back I could see that happening
1: and what would, what would the ramification of that happening can you imagine a
2: backlash in New York if he doesn't start with uh, New York oh the people will lose their mind I mean, people lost their mind over strips, right? <laughs> True. And look, I, I, I just stood back and shook my head at that. Like, okay, as a Manchester City supporter, like, what what are they supposed to do? Not they're branding themselves. This is part of their exercise to to get more fans so that they can make more money. Let's not kid ourselves. And that may be a bit crass in people's minds, and I get that. But it's all about their need to do that to meet financial fair play obligations, right? Mm-hmm. So to not have a sky blue strip would be absurd for the Manchester City soccer groups. Uh, It just would be not something that was ever going to to happen. So I don't know why people lost. And the second strips are nice. Um, But anyway, uh, we'll talk more about NYCFC. And I think we'll talk a bit about the expansion draft next week uh, before, uh, once we know what players are protected and and what sort of team will come together. And uh, maybe in the coming days, we'll look to get someone from Orlando on as well. Uh, always interesting when an expansion team comes in. Oh, I hate the expansion draft, Kevin. I think it's there's got to be a better way to build those rosters than to pick off us. But at any rate... Imagine now with two teams as well? So, uh, yeah. Well, I think you pretty much guarantee. I've read an interview in Salt Lake that uh, it was Garth Ledgerway's, with that rumor there, which maybe we should address somewhere in the show too. Um, he was talking about how it's not about, like hoping not to lose someone you know you're going to lose a starter you're going to know you know you're going to lose a piece you know you're going to be worse it's just a matter of how you prepare to 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 deal with that um and certainly uh well it's going to happen it's been a year we had a nice little year off from it but i think there well there's going to be atlanta coming in and then maybe miami and there's this is going to be part of the new normal and MLS for a few more years has been constant expansion since toronto all right kevin um Let's talk about the signings. Uh, start with uh, start with your fellow uh, Marco uh, Donadel. Yeah, uh, it's pretty good. good.
1: Yeah, I think I, it's the Italian name you pronounce best. Yeah,
2: Donadel. Uh, I live in Toronto, man. I live in a <laughs> in an Italian city. Uh, what do you think about that, Kevin? I'm surprised. It's a, I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, what I'm
1: not surprised. It's still the way it happened. Again, shades of gray. Uh, Last. Fall. At the end of this MLS season, a couple months ago, before Marco DeVaio's last game, he was with the club for like a week and a half, ten days, just practicing. And he said he was not looking for a club, just here to watch his friend play his last game and to uh, just stay in shape. Obviously, we knew there was something more to that when his agent came in a couple of days after. And, surprised this morning, he signed with the impact. the The, the years or the money is not disclosed like it is always the case with major league soccer but one thing i was surprised is he's only 31 Dwayne.
2: that's not bad you know look i don't have an issue with the italian pipeline i mean i think you got to expand your search a little bit sometimes but mm-hmm. you, you know who you know your connections are your connections it's not that weird we make fun of it because it's kind of funny <laughs> but but you know uh i guess what matters is whether he can contribute uh what kind of roles are you gonna play for the impact
1: He'll be a starting midfielder, in my opinion. He played in the Champions League. He played for Prandelli, for uh, Parma. He played for Fiorentina, Napoli, Sampdoria. His best season were probably with Fiorentina, which he plays from 2005 to 2011. Had a three-season stint with Napoli, too. So great teams, but was on loan in Verona until uh, he was a free agent and signed with Montreal Impact today.
2: Well, and we will look forward to that. The impact certainly needs some uh, reinforcements all over the pitch. I don't think anyone can deny that, so.
1: Yeah, I just want to ask Marco if he has a couple of friends we can bring with him.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, All right, uh, see. This is an interesting story in the sense that uh, it's causing some some feathers to be ruffled. Uh, Martin Davis is the kid's name, and he's a good, nice guy. He actually reached out and thanked me for mentioning him, so he's got got his head in his shoulders, I think, based on that interaction, I mean. It <laughs> uh, seemed very polite is what I'm trying to say. But at any rate, he, uh, he's a Jamaican youth international. His dad is Canadian, uh, lives in Toronto, uh, so he is eligible to come up and play for the TFC Academy. Now, I have a sneaky suspicion that this is a guy that TFC has at least USL Pro thinking with. Uh, if not senior team signing but they have to bring him in right now because of the situation and they don't want to expose him to an expansion draft so they sign him up for the academy first and then in january he'll come to camp and we'll see uh the controversy is that he's not canadian and that tfc academy's mandate at least under paul burn back in the day was to not sign any players that weren't uh, willing to commit themselves long term to the canadian system and i i have uh fond feelings towards that philosophy but at the same time the club country debate comes into play and you wonder whether uh tfc should maintain that status should have more of a a, a commitment to the local area now i mean it's one player i don't know how if that shows a lack of commitment or not but that's the controversy
1: is he the first one in toronto's academy that is not canadian you could say in quotes
2: yeah there's not a lot of players dragging around there that aren't from not, not even not just Canadian. They're from Toronto, most of them, yeah. well, Brampton or wherever. But they're this is it's one guy, and as I said, he's got a Canadian connection here, which you know he's not capped for Jamaica, guys. If he stays a few years up here, you never know, right? Uh, he could switch allegiances, but um, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know much about this player. I talked to some a guy from that writes Caribbean football, and uh, he seems to think that there's a lot of talent with this guy it's just the classic club versus country. And uh, it's something that I do tend to to lean a little bit when it comes to the Canadian teams, as anyone who to me, listens to me well knows, uh, towards that these teams need to be committed uh, to Canada. They need to be committed to developing Canadians. They need to play Canadians at the senior level, including. Um, however, I am willing on, and this goes for all three clubs, to make some little bit of flexibility there. If you bring the odd player up, I don't have an issue with it because I think exposing... Canadians. The Canadians are developing two different styles of play, different types of culture, is beneficial to their development. Uh, to me, Martin is a young man that uh, has a bit of a connection here, has some Toronto connections, It's going to live in the city. He's only 17, as I said. He could eventually switch to Canada if he he'd so chooses. And he stays here for three years or four years or whatever it takes, having immigrated to Canada recently. I don't know the rules off the top of my head. Um, so I don't have an issue if it's one. If it's 12, we're going to have a different conversation.
1: Yeah, no, It's the same. I was thinking about the impact right now at Academy. It's, so far it's like Toronto. It's all the kids from the region or the province at least. I would react probably the same way. If there was one or two, I would consider it fine. If there was a majority, I would be really disappointed.
2: Yeah, and look, we'll see. Again, and, and I, I think that they again, this is a youth international that has a lot of promise. Uh, I think from a club perspective, they'd be a little silly to ignore them. Um, they are developing a lot of Canadian kids. I watch that team more than um, probably more than anyone else out there, period, end of story, other than people directly involved. So I can say with pretty confidence that they are developing um, a lot of Canadian players, and there's a lot of talent in that system. So to have one guy come in isn't the end of the world, uh, especially when I don't think he's going to be with the academy very long. I think Martin Davis is going to be at the very least on the USL Pro team next year. All right. Um, Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the Canadian Players of the Year and MLS's absurd idea to expand the playoffs again.
1: Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast on Stitcher Radio with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. (laughs) Subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio. Listen to the show on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio. Would you just please subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio. Thank you very much for subscribing to the show. And now, back to the show on Stitcher Radio.
2: Coming soon on Stitcher Radio. And we're back. And uh, In between the breaks, Kevin and I got talking and we kind of ignored Garth uh, Leggerway rumors and thought we'd, we'd Slip that one into the conversation here real quick. Um, Look, it's a rumor, first off. Uh, However, he's a guy that set a contract in December. Uh, It makes sense that MLSC would be going after this guy. I have no reason not to trust John Molinaro's sources. John Molinaro is one of the straightest and most honest reporters you will ever find. He is not if that's If he's writing about it, the source is solid. So this is a legitimate offer that's out there. Um, Look, he's built a lot with little in RSL. Uh, However, how much of RSL's success was on Price and how much was on uh, Lagerwey, we don't know and we're not going to know until a few years have passed and to see if RSL continues to have a bit of a downward spiral. I thought RSL wasn't as good this year as they had been in the years past. Uh Their early play sort of was hiding some of that. They were getting results. Uh, They we're getting some lucky results, bluntly. Uh, their PDO, if you know that stat, was was a little bit off the charts early on in the year.
1: Nick Ramondo so- was having a great beginning of the season, and he fought, he had troubles after.
2: Yeah, and it, that to me was uh, an indication that that core of that team was beginning to to slow down, and that they need to do a rebuild. And uh, we're going to see how much. If Le- if Leggoy truly does leave, then we're going to see whether it was him that was doing it all along. Now, I, I also think that building a team in Toronto is a different thing than building a team in RSL. He's going to have more resources, and that, on the surface, seems like a no-brainer that that'll be easier for him, but I don't know if it is. Like, I think it's a different kind of challenge, because you have to go after... The, the market demands big DPs. It's not just the team that goes after the big DPs. This market demands it. Um, it really does, and that's maybe to its detriment. I think, logically, it might be to its detriment. However, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Um, is it going to happen? I don't. I, I think there's a good chance, but uh, the other aspect of it, Kevin, is what does that mean with Tim be- Bezbyshenko? You're going to create another power struggle in the front office, and that's what I wrote in CSN last week when the rumors first came out. It's like, I, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, the guy looks sexier on paper, but sometimes in Toronto, we just need to be patient with what we have, and to not fire guys after one year. Again, it's a bit absurd. and They might not fire him, but I don't know how it works if you bring in a guy that's best known for, for building teams and you make him to put him in the president's role, and so then Tveshbachenko's to, to reporting to him. But this is a guy that's always signed to players in the past. How is that going to work? I don't know, Kevin. And not just that, he
1: was the guy who used to be, to build the philosophy in a club uh, in a way. Now would he be able to to delegate that to Bespachenko, Or not just that, another voice, a new voice, a new opinion that would join the club It'll be three and three years, and it's time, like you say, to maybe stay consistent and give a chance to what you have and to see if it actually grows. Uh, it's g- going to be very interesting to see if it happens or not.
2: Well, yeah, I will see. I, I Again, MLSE can afford to pay this guy big bucks. Uh, this is the thing that attracts people to MLSE. This is why people are willing to overlook uh, the corporate culture that is clearly dysfunctional on some level if you look at the overall history of this organization on multiple platforms but they're unwilling to overlook it because there's big coin there and bigger coin than he's probably going to get anywhere else in this league right now so we will wait and we will see and we'll move on from there um let's talk Kevin quickly about MLS and its playoffs
1: (sighs) first of all I predicted every single round of this playoff and that never happened before so I should probably buy a lottery ticket today.
2: Exactly and uh, for those that don't know uh, the MLS Cup Final which we'll maybe preview later in the week is the LA Galaxy versus the New York New York, the New England Revolution New York is done uh, and Seattle, I can't hear Seattle sing anymore because they're done too. Uh, Uh, How did LA win Dwayne? They they won on a a way goal so there you go. Seattle invented losing on the away goal rule, too. Um, anyway, we're not going to break those team games down today because, as I said, uh, we'll probably get, uh, we'll figure our scheduling out after the fact and we'll do a preview of the show and we'll focus on it and we'll get someone from L.A. and we'll get someone from New England and we'll, we'll have a go at it. But uh, uh, 12 teams in the playoffs, Kevin. Oh, my gosh. It's, look, I hate this idea. I hate it. I can't even begin to tell you how much I hate it. The I last will be players on Christmas Eve. Well, yeah, the idea is to play. It's the NFL playoffs, essentially, is exactly what they're looking to do. So they're going to have two wild card games oh. on each of the conferences, and the winners of those will go on and play the two teams that are already in or something like that. I'm not picturing it exactly right now. There's also a lot of rumor, and it floated out there a while back, that uh, they're looking to go with uh, divisions rather than conferences pretty soon. So, um, yeah. yeah I, Before Division of Five? Something like that. Yeah, the, there was a, the central division. I think there's six divisions is what they were going to think of, like four or five team divisions. Um, look, I hate conference play. I really do. I'm not like a single table obsessor, but I think it's a better way to do it. I, I, I have said many times before I am in favor of a playoff. I think what the NASL does has it right. Uh, not necessarily the split season thing. That's a different uh, <laughs> thing. it's a different, to- totally different thing. <laughs> but a four-team playoff to me is the right amount. Uh, that you have the very best of the best, have a very quick and very intense sort of playoff. You could do two rounds, you'd be done a little earlier, uh, or you could play a little longer regular season if you're worried about revenues. But uh, other than that, I I think that that's the way to go. If you wanted to go one round deeper than that and go to eight, then I'm not as happy with that, but that's okay. But that's the absolute maximum to me. If you go to 12 out of 20 teams, you're starting to get into the theater of the absurd. What does a season mean with a
1: 12-team playoff, too? It, it gives, even though the supporter shield doesn't have a lot of value, it takes some of the
2: value away with 12 teams in the playoffs. But well, it takes most of the value away. I mean, it, it's a symbolic victory at best, uh, especially since their obsession with conference play. If they go to divisional play, you know it's not even going to be close to a balanced uh, schedule. The, to me, the supporter shield is useless if it's, the schedule's not balanced. It it's, doesn't tell you anything. I mean, yeah, great, you won it, because you, your schedule might have been weaker, right? Like, the East won a couple of years ago, and it was clear that the West had better teams. Seattle won this year. And uh,
1: the West, last year and this year, played the Chivas USA three times. Well, you could it, say Montreal was the Chivas USA in the East, but yeah, still.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, do, here's a little intellectual exercise for the sports Shield, the lovers out there. In your, take a piece of paper, put your, your smartphone away, take a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. And one side, write Supporter Shield, and the other side, write MLS Cup champions. And just in your head, write the order of the last 10 winners. I bet you 99 out of 100 of you are going to find more MLS Cup winners off the top of your head than you're going to find Supporter Shield winners. Like, who won the Supporter Shield four years ago, Kevin? The uh, RSL. Maybe, I don't know. I don't exactly. Know. <laughs> um... Four years ago, yeah, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, it was probably let me think. What season was that? That was twenty ten. Twenty ten, L.A. I think it was L.A. Yes. but I think they won a double that year. Yeah, anyway. they did. So there you go. <laughs> so there you go. All right, uh, we think it's a bad idea. I think we're we, we both agree on that, but they're going to do it because it's MLS and they do what they want. Um <laughs> okay. that's MLS it. MLSing. MLS is going to MLS. Uh, all right. The Canadian uh, National Team Players of the Year. I guess it's the Canadian Players of the Year, not necessarily the National Team, which is where the topic that I wanted to start with. Um, I think too many voters. And first off, this <laughs> vote goes to all. It's The national, The Player of the Year is split 50-50 between the coaches and the media. I think essentially what happens is they, <laughs> they look at what the media voted for and then they ask the coaches if that works. It's, probably how they do that but um to the csa opens it up to to a lot of big media so there's a lot of votes out there uh those of us that cover the team on a more closer to -to day-to-day basis our voice is not any more valuable than someone who you know checks in once a year that tends to mean that uh, the biggest names are going to win this, this thing every year. So uh, congratulations to Christine Sinclair on your 712th consecutive Women's Player of the Year. Atiba. Uh, you're in Atiba, which I think, and I'll tell you who I voted for in a minute, but uh, Atiba I have less of an issue with, but uh, Christine Sinclair was clearly not the best player in the Canadian Women's Side. <laughs> she shouldn't be even nominated, in my opinion. Well, I mean, you have to. They nominate like eight. So. Okay, so she has to be. But uh, there's other
1: players, Matheson, Becky. There's a lot more players that deserve it this year.
2: I would rank Christine Sinclair the fourth best Canadian women's player this year. Uh, she's a brilliant player, and she had a, a solid club year. Although she didn't have the best club year of the Canadians in the NWSL, I, I would actually put Becky or uh, Scott. I have her. <laughs> Becky Scott. It's a skier. I'm mixing my shows. serious Scott. Desiree Scott ahead of her. Um, I would put uh, Schmidt, Sophie Schmidt ahead of her. I would put Diana Matheson ahead of her, and I would put Aaron McLeod ahead of her. Those are those players, all to me, had better seasons. You can, and you could almost make an argument. Should be Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, Christine Sinclair had one goal, and it was that last week. By the way, uh, quick update on that. Uh, they tied to Sweden. Nice little result there. They uh, they got a win and a tie against Sweden in the closed-door games. But, uh, That was her first goal of the calendar year for Canada. Like, how can you possibly vote her the Women's Player of the Year? It's simply the incorrect decision, but I guarantee you she's going to win because most of the voters, probably 90% of the voters, are just going to look at the ballot. They're not going to recognize more than one or two names at best, and they're going to go, oh, it's Sinclair. It's default. It's just going to be a knee-jerk reaction vote. On the men's side of things, look, I have trouble not thinking it's Atiba, uh, and I base that on his club. Uh, performance. Uh, I think that he is having. He's in, in the most solid position at a club level. I think playing
1: of, of all the players in the category. I agree.
2: Yeah, uh, playing the most minutes for the biggest club at the highest level. Uh, that which is telling because he's in Turkey. But at any rate, but he's they, playing for the third, the the Turkey's third team, right? So it's uh and they're only two points off the top of the table. He's a starting player. He had a, in the Champions League qualifiers. Uh, played against Arsenal, had a wonderful game there, uh, was actually singled out by by those that aren't Canadian to, to having had a great game and being maybe the best player on the pitch for them. He is a key cog for them. His national team play has been, uh, he hasn't been to every game, so it's been a little less, so that's your one argument. Um, I've heard some uh, uh, some call for, for some players that played more national team minutes, but to me, I did end up voting for Atiba, and I think it's going to be a bit of a default win for him as well. Just uh, playing
1: devil's advocate, would a player like Milan Borjan playing in the Champions League this season, okay, it wasn't the greatest game in the Champions League, but he's still playing for a team like Ludo Goretz, does he have a shot?
2: Yeah, I think Borjan is is probably the second choice, but I think the name recognition is going to, again, play a factor for Atiba. Uh, he's the only other player I considered for it. Um I thought that... Uh, actually, Hanson Bodakai wasn't even on the list, but he's... <laughs> I Is that might... even
1: in the U-17? Oh, no, he's not in u He should have been on U-20, though, like uh, the other guys.
2: Yeah, there's an odd U-20 thing. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, he was... You know, he had a good club year, right? That's that's kind of where I go with this. And I tend to value the club play over the, the national team play a bit more uh, so, because there's more of it, right? And that's frequency, the frequency, yeah. Yeah, the bigger body of work. So the fact that there's two players on the, on the list... Uh, Straith and um, Julian uh, that aren't even attached to a team right now is, is a bit absurd. So we'll see. i think Adrian's to Adrian
1: uh, Just to give an example of what you said, in Quebec it was last week the announce of the players of the, the year for professional and uh, surprisingly Patrice Bernier won best players in the Quebec in the last year and he did not have a good year. So that just gives you the point we were saying earlier that it's not all the votes actually know what they're talking about. It's not all the votes have seen all the players play. And you can say that when a player like Patrice Benioff won. Great. Great for Patrice. I'm really happy for him. But other players had a better this season. This season,
2: Yeah, it's kind of a popularity contest in many ways. But yeah, it's nature, nature of the beast. It gets us talking about the players and gets, gets us evaluating and gets us depressed about the state of the national team men's players at the club level. But at any rate... <laughs> Um, Speaking
1: about depressed, there's a couple of omissions of those lists.
2: Yeah, well, before we go there, I wanted to quickly tell people who I voted for on the women's side. I I voted for Sophie Schmidt, and I actually changed my mind. Um, I was going to vote for Diana Matheson. I even tweeted about it. Uh, And Diana Matheson certainly deserves a lot of recognition. She's a a wonderful player that that doesn't get the the recognition she deserves. But when I started to really look at Sophie Schmidt's uh, club year... And then co- combine that with the fact that she was the leading goal scorer for the women on the on the national team side. Um, I was convinced to to go with her rather than with uh, Matheson. But uh, again, it, the key point I'm making here is it's not Sinclair, guys. It, regardless of what they're going to announce in a few weeks, it is not Christine Sinclair. Is not the best player on the women's side this year. However, and that's nothing to take away from her. I'm not trying to bash Christine Sinclair. I'm just trying to be to reflect the objective actually happen, objectively look at the how what was happening out there and reward excellence by others and i think that that's what gets lost in this at any rate um yeah the u20 interesting omissions uh ggl one yeah. of the
1: best defenders this year in canada under 20
2: and uh kyle Laren the consensus number one pick in the mls super draft was uh, left off the list as well and and um With Lauren's case, what I've been told by a few people behind the scenes is there's a bit of politics involved, and there's some suggestion I've heard that he may may not even get the call. Uh, He certainly probably won't get the call up for qualifying because he might want to concentrate on his MLS side because the relationship with the national team camp at the u 20 level isn't great with them, I don't think, Uh, because the, the politics involved have to do with the fact that he hasn't gone through an MLS academy stream and that there's... increasingly the bias is so against players that don't go through the MLS academies. And that is really ruffling feathers. That's the third time I've used that phrase today. I'm like an old man at the cloud or something. Um, In certain camps that are outside of it. For those that don't know, Lauren is a, he's a Sigma guy uh, and he's gone through the NCAA clearly is at UConn um, where his season is now done. I, as I said, there's, I've been told that there's no guarantee that he will be on the Canadian U-20 team that goes to Jamaica to qualify at, or if they qualify to New, to New Zealand for the World Cup because he's not through the MLS side. And even though he is, consen- he's a national team, senior team call-up and a consensus number one pick in the MLS Super Draft, for some reason the coaches at the U-20 don't rate him as highly as, as pretty much every other person in the world. And uh, that strikes me as uh, absurd because... That's face facts, folks. Our ability to to find talent in this country is not amongst is not really what you describe as world class. Sometimes, right? You know what it looks like. It looks like
1: maybe four, five, six years ago, somebody went to him like, "Hey, come join our academy." He's like, "No, I'll go this way instead." Like, really? We'll remember it a couple years ago, and see years from now, he's having trouble getting back into the fold. I think it's time that there's other means than just the beaten path. You can go outside the beaten path and find success, and you need to, uh, to accept that success and to praise it as well.
2: Yeah, for years, the, one of the biggest problems was that if you weren't on the provincial team, pl- like the, the pathway before the, the academies was the provincial teams. And if you didn't play on the provincial teams and get playing at national championships at that level, you were, you weren't, you were gone. You were done. Basically, your national team prospects were done at 15. Um, 14, 1415 if you weren't discovered by then. And there was an inherent problem with that in that uh, she, it, if you weren't wealthy, basically, is the only way to put it, you weren't necessarily going to get on those pathways. A lot of, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, ethnic kids were lost in the system because they didn't play in those expensive clubs that got in those profile tournaments that got them on the national team pathway they played in leagues where they were excelling but they weren't viewed because there was no scouting network per se you had to get on that platform or that pathway early um, now that's changed a little bit and it's uh it's the MLS academies that now get it now look as i said earlier on there's a lot of talent in the MLS academies it's not kid ourselves. let that's not be dismissive of the work they're doing because there is good work being done there so this isn't about bashing the MLS academies it's but about they don't
1: have the monopoly of talent that's the thing
2: yeah their Sigma is a perfect example here in Toronto there's other clubs other other places in the country obviously but Sigma is the one I'm most familiar with that do develop a lot of talent have different philosophies I mean with Sigma they look to get kids to the NCAA that's their goal and they're doing very well at it They have like eight guys in Division 1A this year on scholarship right um that's their their initiative and there's great talent there and there's there's great ability there and they need to recognize that yeah i think that even if you do have an open mind and you have a big tent when you're looking at these things and you have an open and you you have objective uh, decisions happening at this level you're going to find that there's still going to be 75% of the national youth teams are still going to be academy kids cuz there's a natural uh desire by kids to go to those academies right mm-hmm. however you wouldn't have politics like this. And the caveat to all this is that I'm as good as my sources when it comes to this stuff. This is what I'm being told. I'm being told this by people that do have vested interests outside of the MLS Academy field. That's your caveat. Their biases are put out front there as well. Yeah,
1: there you go. And the fact that JGL hasn't been chosen, but there's another player from the impact. Louis Belagallet has been chosen for the U23 selection of Canadian Player of the Year. But the fact that GGL is not selected tells me that the CSA doesn't watch MLS and hasn't noted that he actually plays for his club on the top flight in the country.
2: Yeah, strange list. Uh, All right, Uh, Atiba, Sophie Schmidt, that was my votes. Kevin, who would you have voted for?
1: I would have voted for uh, Tassin because I think the fact that he scored with Canada and was probably the most productive player with Team Canada this year. In the women's side, I would have. I would have shocked the people and chose Kiicia Buchanan. I think it's surprising she's nominated, then she deserves it,
2: yeah uh we don't have a vote the media doesn't have a vote on the u twenty levels uh so I really speculate Buchanan I think still u twenty so she'll win on that side. Jesse Fleming will probably win on the, the u seventeen side um, I think Jordan Hamilton probably would have a good chance uh on the u twenty side of the men's uh there's a lot of guys out there uh names this game made are on the list in front of me so i apologize for that guys but uh we'll watch this uh, the announcement should go down in a couple weeks usually in early december and uh that's our conversation on it uh kevin um nice show we thank chance again for joining us uh, fascinated by nycfc uh maybe that makes me a bit weird but i truly am so that i found that interesting we'll try and get him back once they have a few more players to talk about and we're not just talking about strips and stuff like that but uh in the meantime kevin Thanks again for voting
1: for the two Solitude Soccer Podcast as the 2014 World Soccer Talk Best Podcast. Until next time, have a great soccer.